Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and this is the first in a new series of podcasts that we are calling GM Masterclass. And this first series is going to be GM Masterclass Return to Rokugan with GM Jim McClure. And today I've brought along guest host, former network member, frenemy. GM Jim McClure. Jim, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing outstanding, Michael. I, I'm still a friend of me. We, we, oh, <laughs> oh, we're, we're never going to get past it. Nope, we're never nope. going to get past uh, it. I can hold a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of digging up the past, Michael. <laughs> yes, um, great segue. This is going to be the first in what will probably be, I don't know, 15 episodes. I assume, yes. Uh, it's going to be a very long series where we are going to return to the land of Rokugan. We are. Now, before anyone gets too excited, this is not part three of the actual play between us, Jim, and One Shot, though we are still hopeful that will happen at some point in time. But ever since the, that first series aired, and then especially after the second one did, people have been asking for sort of like GM theory, talking to Jim about how you designed that game and how it worked with us at the table. And so we are going to deep dive into each episode at a time. There's nine episodes. And that's assuming that we can get through an episode in an episode, at least nine. And I want to do a recap after each session or section. So there'd be recap after part one, recap after part two. So that's like 11 episodes, no matter what, which is also why no one's going to hear about this until they're all done, which could be 2021. Who knows? But yeah, we're going to basically, it's going to be like director's commentary. We're going to actually listen to the actual play each episode. And we're going to stop it and talk about points when there's something that we feel needs to be talked about. And Jim says that will be a lot. Yes, it will. So uh, <laughs> so maybe more in the beginning, less than as we go, because we'll be repeating ourselves at that point. But before we get into the, the actual director's commentary, what do you have to say, Jim, about the process of running the game or about what you what we're doing here today? Yeah, um, and thank you much, Michael, for, for inviting me to come on and do this. I know we, we talked about kind of doing this project for a while um, because... I think the kind of the onus of this project comes from something that I know, Michael, me and you, we've discussed sort of off mics a lot of times of we'd love to be able to do sort of a talk on, you know, GM theory and GM craft and directly tie that into a, a podcast show, you know, tie that into a, you know, here, you can go listen to this episode, you can go right. listen to this play, and we can talk about the specific theories and tools that were used at every moment. Um, the hard thing with a lot of podcast shows is uh, a lot of them, you know, skew a lot heavier towards the humor uh, so you get into the like well that was a joke and we do jokes because it's humor and people enjoy humor and you can only make that joke so many times yeah. in an episode yeah. so you know the L5R episodes we felt kind of really you know exemplified that process that we could really kind of break down some some GM tools for it so I'm I'm really excited to do that and as well as of course to get sort of your perspective for as the player perspective you know so that we right. can sort of see see both sides as we as we go through so all of that is is super exciting I'm looking forward to it I guess a couple things I would I would tell people right off the get-go is this is probably not going to be a GMing 101 level series um there's going to be a lot of 
more advanced theory that we're going to talk about in here, a lot of more advanced things that are going to be uh, discussed within this series, which I am very much looking forward to. Uh, but I do always like to preface, this is this is not the one like, oh, I want to GM my first game. Let me listen to this and get the tips and tricks. That's what, of course, the RPG, <laughs> RPG Academy has a lot of multi any nominated multi any nominated Never RPG get Academy. Old. Never. <laughs> And then next year it'll be tri-nominated, and then we'll just keep going, right? Yeah. I eventually want it to be, I'm the same way that people feel about Ken Rob now. Like, right. we, we get it. We get it. <laughs> Good show. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so that that's, I wanted to, to preface that, you know, th- this is a specific style of game that was run. This is a pre-planned story. This is a pre-planned narrative. You know, this is not a, a game or a game that was run based on sort of collaborative world building like, like a lot of, like, the Apocalypse World types games are. So this is a very specific style of game and a GM style that's being run, and I'm, we are going to essentially present the tools behind running this style of game. I always like to preface this by by saying, you know, I'm no way endorsing this is the only way to run a game. We're merely saying this was the style that was used in this game, and here are GM tools that were used sort of throughout it. So one of the things that I... We've we talked a lot about collaborative world building. In fact, we actually recorded an episode last night, but again, this will probably come out in two years. But anyway, about collaborative world building. And as a player, I actually don't mind railroads at all, as long as I have freedom within that railroad to do what I want. And I think I exemplified that in this game is I was constrained by your world, you know, your guidelines, but I had a lot of freedom to go inside of that however I wanted, which made it fun for me. Uh, now, the system that we played in is L5R. It's kind of its own beast. Is there anything you would like to say about that particular game or setting before we actually jump into the episode? Yeah, uh, L5R, for for those who don't know, haven't listened to the series or aren't familiar with the game, um, just to tell you a little bit about it, uh, and, and we're going to get to show our first GM tool right here from the beginning, but L5R is a game that's been around for 20-plus years, uh, owned by AEG, now sold to Fantasy Flight, and Fantasy Flight nixed all that 20 years of story. I'm still not bitter! <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, but there is a large, large, rich history behind this world. There's eight major clans that all have long stories. They have long characters. There's locations. There is so much history and setting in this thing, almost to make it an unapproachable game. <laughs> you know, without, I mean, without question, it, it, it is a very hard thing to get into. So when when we first started talking about this, you know, and, and doing it for the one shot podcast, which then started, and of course doing part two in the RPG Academy, uh, one of the the big challenges and something that a lot of GMs face is. How do you get people into a rich history setting? How do you get people, you know, you all, Michael, Caleb, and James that played in this first section, you're not going to read 700 pages of lore like what I've read. I did make you read like 30 or some. Yes. I, I did homework for that game. Yes, there there was required homework, which I appreciate because that was before I was a podcaster. Now that I'm a podcaster, I'm like, if you do it to tell me to do homework, I'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> or I, actually, I take it back. I would go, sure, and then I show up on the day, and I'm like, all right, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't read. What? <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I want to tell you. That's why I play games where I roll dice. I don't have to read. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, uh, so one of the, the the tricks right off the beginning that I found of if you are going to get people into a large setting, what you need to do is you need to be able to give them a foothold. You need to be able to give them a foundation for a place to start. Within our game, we had a very simple, straightforward thing, and that is we have a dispute between the Crab Clan and the Spider Clan over a bit of territory. The map said that there was a river that ran through and separated these two territories. The river changed, and then the the dispute became about, okay, who now has that land since the river changed? Uh, we, we have enough history to go, the crab and the spider hate each other. Do we need to know the history of the destroyer war Daigotsu sacrificed to bargain a deal with the Empress? No, 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 no. That doesn't, that doesn't really matter. What we do is we have a nugget that is easily understandable by everyone. Here are two clans that are bordering with each other that have a long history of not liking each other and have a dispute. That is the foothold to get into the lore. And then throughout the game, we'll kind of see this as questions pop up like, okay, wait, they're building a temple to Shahai. Who in the world is Shahai? Then I, as the GM, get to inform the essentially the players of the knowledge their characters would have. But if I try and front load all of that or try and make them read all of that, it just all becomes white noise. So one of the things I really like when introducing heavy settings is let's start with a foothold, let's give them some space they can explore, and then as they have questions that naturally pop up on their own, we answer them. So that's kind of where we were when we, we first jumped into Rokugan. And, and I would say that's actually very similar, if not exactly the same advice I've given to people who want to write their own campaign worlds, is no matter how big of a world you have, you're going to start in one small place, one, one village, one town, one setting, couple NPCs, go. And then you just build out from there. Uh, it's just whether I'm writing it or making it up as I go versus having an established setting. And one thing I would mention, too, about the setting is, you know, I, I did the homework. And I had a, a small enough grasp that I thought I could play in the game. But now I, I still haven't read the lore. But I know more about the game just from playing it again and talking to people. There are choices I think I probably would have made differently had I been more educated in the system. There's a few choices, and we'll probably touch on them when they happen, where that's, that's a choice Michael made that my character wouldn't have made. Mm -hmm because my character knows more about the setting than Michael does. <laughs> so with all that, we're going to get into the episode proper. I want to hit one more thing. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, so before we get into the episode proper, Jim, do you have anything else? Yeah, just one, one last thing, too. Um, because, again, as, as we talked about, we're going, this is a little bit more advanced theory stuff. So, so here, here's a Jim McClure coined term here for you for what this story actually is. And it's, I call it a dual stacking plot. And that is, as we get into this, we're going to kind of see what the story is, which is you all are conducting an investigation. And when you are conducting an investigation, uh, essentially over who is right and who is wrong. And the players have been granted that authority of you all ultimately are going to be the, the arbiters of, of who is right and who is wrong. Well, th then people made player choices and things <laughs> change. But uh, that, that is the onus of what we're going in with here. And how I've managed that within this particular story is what I call a dual stacking plot. And that is, I know that there's going to be, there's two sides to the issue. And the players are going to have to come down on one side or the other. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use little tools throughout the whole story here to keep putting either evidence or conviction on one side or the other. And we go back and forth so that way it always keeps the question of who because we are stacking things on both sides and some of these things are far more subtle than they appear and we'll kind of kind of get into that. So keep in mind this dual stacking plot as we work our way through this first series. All right. So what we are going to try to do, uh, I've talked to James, 
and he is okay with us playing the audio from the first series, kind of recreating that in, in this episode. So this is going to be very much like a director's commentary, uh, like you would see on a DVD, accepting that we're going to stop the audio when we feel there's something we need to talk about. So you can kind of listen along. We're going to try to actually have that audio audible to you, the audience, so that you will hear what we hear so that when we stop it, you'll actually know why we stopped it. If that doesn't work out, sorry, but that's the plan, uh, and we'll go from there. So let me get this audio queued up. All right, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. First up is Caleb. Caleb is joining us from the RPG Academy, which is a podcast that we've spoken to on a number of occasions. Multi-any-nominated podcast. You can look their archive for Cat uh, and I, and uh, Caleb... Welcome to the show. Hello, James. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you. Uh, who are you going to be playing for us this week? Today, I am playing Hida Kagura, a Shugenja from the Crab Clan. Just to give people an idea of Hida, what, what, what does Hida look like? Hida is a grizzled warrior, uh, late 30s, a little bit of a paunch. Mm -hmm. Um he was never a frontline fighter, but he has definitely uh, seen his share of the Great War. His task uh, on the field was actually uh, kind of tactically to protect uh, the better warriors around him. Okay. So, so he was he was known for his ability to uh, bolster defenses and protect uh, the warriors on the front lines. Excellent, excellent. And the crab family, or the crab clan, I should say, has a reputation uh, for being a little bit uncouth, um, a little bit outside of the uh, regular social order. And that was in the homework we had to do. Yes, it was. So I want to jump in right there already. So being a one-shot game, obviously it's important for the audience to – sorry, being a podcasted one-shot game, it's very important for the audience to – have a basis of the characters when you were playing like a home game do you do you do these sort of introductions or do you want that to come out during play uh, I actually do these kind of introductions um, and the reason being is it is uh, an icebreaker of sorts now typically if it's a home game obviously we all know each other but uh, anyone who's played tabletop knows it takes a little bit to get the motor running you know once you get into it so what I actually really like doing these things for is, is part of what we call getting in the magic circle um, which the magic circle Circle is the, this imaginary barrier between uh, the rest of the world, and I'm going to say Rokugan. My, <laughs> mo people might say tabletop, but I'm just going to say Rokugan because that's what matters in this particular story. So to start getting people into the world and stop thinking of themselves as a player and start thinking of themselves as a character, I like to be able to do these just so they can talk about their character a little bit, so the other players can talk about their character a little bit, and they can start feeling these little connections. So I actually still do it just for that reason. Okay. Um, now, just again for the process, one, I had to stop that because I'm, I'm obligated not to let Caleb have that much audio time in a row without <laughs> me interrupting him. But feel free to like do color commentary over top of the audio, but tell me okay. if you want me to actually stop it okay. so that we can have a more in-depth conversation. Okay. How does he carry himself? Uh, Hida is the very classic, always suspicious old man. Mm -hmm. He's always uh, sitting with his back to the wall. He's giving people the eagle eye to find the danger before it happens. Right. Uh, so he's probably going to be a little less polite 
at times because he's checking people out to find the bad guys. Which definitely falls within the lines of, you know, how the crabs operate. They Everyone's are... a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than the crab. Everyone Shh. is a potential vessel for taint. <laughs> so... And we've gotten past our first taint reference without a laugh. We're not going to make it the whole way. Or were there dark forces at all in your past that you faced? Oh, clear, clearly dark forces, as, as we, when we get into it. The, the Great Destroyer War, the cult from the South, yes. Wonderful. All right, so you, you've not only do you have the thousand-yard stare of a man who's seen war, but also a man who's seen crazy demon monsters. I have definitely seen the effects of the dark taint and the mutations it would create, he probably expects every single person he walks by to erupt in some <laughs> sort of tentacled, fanged horror. Perfect. I, I love the way his character develops throughout this series, too. Uh, let's move on to our next guest, who is also from the RPG Academy. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. It's a real pleasure to be here. Really I'm glad. Excited. I'm super glad that you guys came out for this. Oh, thank you. Who are you playing for us this I'm week? I'm going to be playing Haruma Shimabuku. He is oh, that's right. You placated to the GM. As part of my... So for those who don't know... Jim and I studied the same form of martial arts, um, Ishinru Karate, yep. uh, which is an Okinawan hard style. Yes, it is. And it was uh, created or developed by a man named Tatsuo Shimabuku. Yep. And when I could not think of a name, I went to the only one I knew. That would be him. <laughs> and actually, Tatsuo means little dragon. Yes. And I tried to find, I went online, it was like, you know, tweeting out, like, can someone give me the translation for a little crab? Because I was going to have that oh, be my first name. Oh, nice. And I couldn't, no one was able to give me a concise word mm. that I could use for that. But that's what I wanted to use was little crab, because as we'll get to, I'm a very short crab. <laughs> so yeah, my character was very much based off of Tatsuo. Right, right. Political favor, I guess, as a child, I was sent to uh, school with the Spider Clan, which in the setting that we're playing exists. And uh, I'm kind of a man of two worlds. I came from the crab, but I lived with a spider, and now I'm not really welcome in either and I'm small, uh, especially for a crab. I actually have the disadvantage that I'm small in stature. Okay. And I constantly try to look for ways to prove myself. So I'm a little over eager to get myself in danger to prove that I'm worthy of, of a samurai. So, uh, so jump in there as well. So that's one of the things where when you were asking about characters, mm -hmm. before I knew anything about the story, and even before I knew anything about the Spider-Clan, my first thought was I like the idea of my character not growing up where he's from. Mm -hmm. And you were very excited about that. Now I, I know why. I was. Yeah, but at the time I was just like, oh, cool, he's he's buying into what I wanted to do with the character. And that's one of the things where I don't think I played Shimpuku the way I described the way I was going to play him. There was a few places where I feel like as a crab I wasn't up to snuff, but I, I never I never played him as if he really was torn. Because I was always against the spider. Like, I went off the bat. I was okay with the spider being bad guys, which I probably shouldn't have in truth. But it, it, it's the fun of that's what you as a player get to do. You get to decide your character's motivations, and they can be changing over time. And it's actually one of the fun things to get to listen to this now, knowing all of the backstory of, of uh, two sessions of this and sort of everything that developed from there is the characters develop over time, and they develop as part of their environment. Uh, I, I really like the character angle, and I really like the character choice that you made. I don't think you made any poor choices on I, that. I won't say it was poor. It, just, it didn't line up with what, my, what I said it was going 
going to be. And who cares if it does? Yeah, right? 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 Yeah, I mean, the end of the day. Balls is fun, right? Exactly. And and just as a point of this, you know, when we talk about uh, one of the, the themes that we're going to say is, is this is a very, this is a linear plot. Um, and in my opinion, linear plot is good. Railroading is bad. Uh, so where the difference becomes on this is, as we develop this story of, of, again, this land dispute between the two, you came to me with the concept of, you know, I'm, I'm you know, not from where I grew up. And then I, as the GM, help you incorporate this, which is, it would be awesome if you were part of the spider. It could have been a political alliance, and then that ties perfectly into what I was already going to do. And now we have worked together to build this awesome linear plot. So that's why I think one of one of the big differences, railroading is, this is my idea and it's going to happen, period. Linear plot is, I know where we're going. Let me help everyone work together to craft this interesting story. Yeah, and as I said earlier, I'm okay with with a player being railroaded as long as I still have agency. And I think that's that's the key difference. And also, again, this decision that I made with my character that you helped me develop led directly into what happens in part two. Like part yep. two would not have happened that way probably if part one had not – if my character hadn't been who my character was or it wouldn't have been as emotional, it wouldn't have been as connective. Yep. And we'll get into that yes, we will. In, a, in a few episodes. You are caught between two clans in a way. Uh, they're both kind of unconventional clans, yes. though. Uh, Spider, brand new. There are a lot of people in the Empire who sort of don't know if they can trust them and don't know what to expect from them. And Crab are, again, saddled with the baggage of being generally uncouth folks who are not uh, not together with the social order. So how does Hiruma carry himself? Again, the the Spider Clan, which is only a clan recently, mm -hmm. were the bitter enemies of the Crab Clan for generations. So they have bitter enemies. And Michael uh, doing his homework. Because I was small in stature anyways, I've always been a little outside of Crab. Okay. And I actually found welcome in the Spider Clan, which I feel, did not play uh, that at all. I actually feel better in the Spider Clan than I do in the Crab Clan. So I kind of resist some of that. I'm actually a little bit more couth and educated and try to be etiquette and polite mm -hmm. than a normal crab because it kind of gets under their skin a oh little bit. cool yeah yeah i, I can see slinging those Great arrows idea. from the safety of not the spider that. clan <laughs> that's right uh and how old is your character because you're a bit younger than most of the people that we're going to be encountering Correct. and certainly younger it's than the whole yeah, I just old muhammad ali joke i think muhammad ali joke right okay. everyone every fighter's so got a plan until he gets punched in the face every role player has a plan until he rolls his first dice for some reason, I have lost my Wakazashi. We will find out exactly why at some point in the adventure. All right, we need to talk about that. Okay, real hold quick, on. Just because it's funny. Okay. No, no, do you remember? No, the, the, actually, what happened was uh, when we were doing the character sheets prior to doing oh, it, that's right. you had forgot to write I down. To write it down. Write down Wakazashi, and you go, "Oh, I forgot to walk down Wakazashi," and I literally just being being an asshole. Being I was like, "Yeah, being Jim." Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't like those words being synonymous. I guess, but we're, 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 we are where we are today, aren't we? Uh, um, you know, I went, "Okay, you don't have it." Uh, and I just, it was just a fun little thing, you know, almost more, I think, to build rapport between me and you, because this was the first time that we were meeting each other of like, hey, just go with it. Like, I want you to, I want you to have that philosophy of go with what's going. You forgot to uh, write it down. You don't have it. Wink, wink. It's going to be good <laughs> if you go with it. Uh, and you absolutely did. Yeah. I am looking forward to that so much. Um, no, no greater sin. And before we move on to the person GMing this adventure, I actually get to play this week because there is uh, somebody approached me who is 
perhaps the greatest L5R fan that I have ever met in my life. And this is a system that a lot of people talk up. I hear good things about this game from everybody who's greatest played game it. known to mankind. But this guy insists that it's one of the greatest games uh, ever made, so I know we're in for a treat, and we're going to get the full effect of L5R. So my character for this week is Miramoto Kumo. He is a member of the Dragon Clan, and he's somewhat of a young samurai. He was brought up in the warrior family, the Miramoto family, and he has trained in the famous Miramoto uh, two-weapon style. So... How much influence did you have over Miramoto? Was that James's creation, or did you work with him so that it fit? Like the fact that he's, you know, a duelist and that sort of like was that somewhere in the back of your head? Kind of yes and no. Of course, it's always hard to remember exact details going going back this far. But uh, although I just remember that specific detail about the uh, Wakazashi. <laughs> the but uh, no, James he he wanted to play the dragon. Um, he when, when we looked at in L five R fourth edition, it set up really well. Of there is this section in the front of the book where it's essentially two pages on each clan, which is a page of basic information and then a page of what they think of all the other clans, and it's beautiful. Like it, it's and that's I think one of the first. I started with was read those, see which of the eight jump out at you. Um, And he was dragon, but he didn't kind of know what to do with the dragon from there. So that's when I, I posited him some essentially different options within the dragon clan. And he really took towards their their specialized two-weapon fighting style, uh, which that's very much wrapped up in their dueling. So all of that sort of came about organically, you know, from him once he said, you know, hey, I'm interested in the dragon. And then I kind of help him back out with, you know, okay, here are the interesting things that make the dragon unique and different. Like, I think we make the, the joke later about how they uh, they, they eat their mountain tuna. Um, yeah. Yes, because red, red meat's not allowed, but they live in mountains, so there aren't that many fish up in mountains, so. They call their goats mountain tuna, yes. (laughs) He wields both his katana and his wakizashi in battle. He's someone who carries himself with sort of a gentle calm. His face is often impassive. His eyes tend to wander, looking around at the different things in his environment. And he speaks with a very even and calm voice. He's the sort of person who's also got a face that is so young and so pretty that everybody else around him sort of hates him for that. It's like one of those things. And you we look all at him, just wish you could punch him to knock him out of like whatever is making him act the way he acts. Um, he wears the traditional armor of the Dragon Clan. It is a green scaled armor that is lined with gold. And he carries on his right hip the wakizashi and katana at all times. And that's me. So let's move on to our GM. We can for skip this, this part, week. right? Uh, oh, Jim. clearly. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, uh, James. Uh, I like your name. It's a good one. <laughs> I like it when it's stretched out. That makes it, you know, it's more official. Wow, we were antagonistic <laughs> for the first interaction. Introduction. I'm sitting there going, "Can I ever live up to that kind of expectation as as, as world's number one L5R fan?" Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to disagree with that. Yeah, if you disagree will... with that, uh, right into the show <laughs> uh, and challenge Jim to a duel. Absolutely. Using reflections. Using reflections. Uh, I, I can choose the weapons. Uh, but- <laughs> 
but no, I am. And we'll uh, get to location, the place and the location and time. Up to one year from now, absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, it's stalling. The uh, yeah, well, my name is Jim McClure, um, and I'm associated with the uh, Roll Twenty GM Academy. Uh, of course, on Roll Twenty uh, that we service there, uh, helping GMs to become better GMs. And uh, I've been talking with James, and he asked me to come up and run a nice little uh, L5R uh, one shot here for one shot podcast. And for those that don't know, L5R is a samurai feudal Japan based system, although a mythical version of it that takes place in a country called Rokugan. And of course, all of our, our players here today are going to be playing samurai in this culture. Now, for those that are familiar with L5R, you will know that there is a large, rich history in L5R and a lot of events that happen. Now, as I am the only player that has played L5R, we are going to simplify a lot of this to make it accessible to everyone, because again, there is really a lot to it. Um, so, to give you a background in, in the story and the time frame that we are playing in, uh, a few years ago was the conclusion of the Great Destroyer War, where this cult from the south came north, busted through the southern wall of Rokugan, where the Crab Clan protects such a great protected. war since the beginning of recorded history, and the Crab Clan was completely decimated, destroyed outright, and they needed the help of the rest of the Empire to fight back these destroyers. Ultimately, they won the war and, and saved Rokugan as it were, but part of the alliance that was need was with this group that lived out in the Shadowlands. And they have now been allowed to come into the Empire because of a political dealing with Empress Awiko, and they have been given an official name called the Spider Clan. Now, the Crab and the Spider Clan do not get along at all because they have literally been fighting each other since recorded history. And now Empress Awiko has decided that they are a recognized clan and permitted within the Empire. Adding to the stress, they've been given the lands of the Shinnaman Mori Forest, which border the Crab Territory. And there have been numerous territorial disputes, and we are going to be engaged in one of those today. And that is in the Kanzi Province, which is a province that is now both shared which I made by up. the Crab Not and by the Spider. Cannon. An issue has arisen where the river that divides the two sections on the north half the spider on the southern half the crab that river has now changed and flows in a different area I made up the and river now there's too. a contested of who controls the new area canon is not bible and that is the situation that we are walking into we have of course haruma and hida who are members of the crab who have been sent to help resolve this dispute for their clan and from the north we have Mirimoto who has been sent by the dragon clan because the empress has given the dragon clan special permission to oversee all matters of the spider which that decision in and of itself has caused a little bit of tension um, but he has been sent down on his very first assignment for the dragon clan to also help mitigate this dispute and with that we will get into our story so one of the things I wanted to mention here that's somewhat unique to L5R in, in settings of similar nature, that when I normally play D&D or a role-playing game, and someone says, well, you can't do that because the king says you can't, I'm going to be like, who cares? Right. I'm going to do what I want. And you were very clear that in this game and the culture that we're in, that is not acceptable. And any samurai who was so casual with following those type of orders probably wouldn't be a samurai very long. So it, when the Empress Awiko says, it's Tuesday, it's Tuesday. No matter if it's Friday, it's Tuesday at that point. 
And and within the system itself, uh, of course, this isn't a, a, a L5R fourth edition review podcast, but it, it does mechanically reinforce that. I don't think there's, it shows up that much in the audio here, but essentially, if you were to do something like you described, Michael, of like the Empress says it's Tuesday, and you're like, no, I, I know it's Wednesday. Like I've been watching the calendar for like 20 right. years. Like it's yeah. Wednesday, I'm comes watching Golden Girls. It comes on on Wednesdays. Exactly. <laughs> you actually would get a loss of honor, which is a mechanical thing that happens in the game, and lower honor actually has negative connotations to your skills. So you become less powerful mechanically by doing these type of things. So it sort of reinforces through the roleplay, yeah, you got to play this way. This game is demanding to be taken a specific certain way. So perception is reality yes. in Rokugan. Yes, and I want to touch on just a couple other little points here because there's already some interesting stuff that's happened. Sure. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're doing a what I call a dual stacking plot, okay? Ultimately, you are going to make a choice between A and B, okay? And I want that to be a difficult choice for the party to make. So we already start with some subtle things. The party did not arrive together. The party arrives separate because I want the party to have different ideologies. This is, again, a very subtle thing. I'll be pointing out a lot of different subtle things. But if I want the party to not be 100% cohesive, I, as the GM, need to set up situations where the party is not 100% cohesive. So we've got two members that are coming from one clan. We've got our third member that's coming from a different clan. And I do not start them together, and they don't even start in the same scene together because I want a difference. I want a, a, a little bit of divisiveness between the party members, and we're literally setting that up from the beginning. Okay, so Hida and Haruma. You have traveled far from, from your particular lands closer to the wall where all the reconstruction has been happening, the new buildings and all of that. Your, your daimyos have told you of this dispute that they want you to go up and settle. Haruma, you're being sent specifically because you have experience with the spider, and more so than with experience with the spider, your school was only a short distance from where this territory dispute is. And you, in fact, are very familiar with this river and just through the explanation know exactly how the river changed course to adjust the the land territories and you were being sent to assist in that regard because you have very specific experience with it uh and Hida, of course you are being sent on this mission because you have understanding of the magical world and specifically of some of the abominations that the magical world has produced because on top of a territorial land dispute there have been numerous uh, reportings of strange activity creatures, perhaps even Oni, some dare say, in the area, so they needed someone with... That's what we call foreshadowing, kids. <laughs> ...magical talents to, while we're overseeing the land dispute, also look into what else may be going on. And the two of you all come up on a road, and standing in front of you are two other of your fellow crab clans. So that's interesting. I want to stop that right there, because mm -hmm. I was joking about foreshadowing, but... Now that I have the entire series in, in view, that was absolutely what happened. Yeah. You told us that there was magical issues, there was probably an Oni involved, but that there was more going on, which is exactly what happened. Is we, we solved the Oni problem, but that wasn't the actual big problem in the area. Exactly. The funny thing is, with this type of story... A lot of people really try and hold and keep things close to the chest. I like, like, I'm going to straight up tell you stuff. And, and it's in a subtle way, exactly that, of, of like, I kind of give you like a, oh, this could be. And it's like, no, this is exactly the direction that we're going. Because the interest in the story and what's actually going to build up the drama is the interpersonal relationships and the dynamics between the players and the NPCs. 
That's all that matters. That is the end of the day when we get to this end of part one. The only thing I care about is that there is strong emotion between player to player, player to NPC, and player to story. And that's all I care about. I don't need to to keep to my chest, oh, there's going to be an Oni in the river, and oh my god, they're going to lose their mind over it. That doesn't matter. What matters is building that emotional tension between them, and that's really what we're going for. And if if it's something that doesn't matter, then put it out there in the world. Let the players go wild with it. Tell them. It, it doesn't matter. What I'm building is a very specific set of tools to, to deliver the end that I, I feel we got with this. I know we've touched on this before in other episodes, but it's very difficult to instill dread in a character or a player when they are walking through a dungeon and surprise, surprise, a vampire jumps out. Unless it's like a somebody who's really into the mechanics and they're like, oh my God, we're third level, we can't survive this fight. It's just going to be like, oh, okay, there's, there's a vampire. But the way that you instill dread is for them to know there's a vampire but they have to go anyways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of along those same lines. Like the only popping out when it does wasn't as shocking as the fact that we kind of knew it was coming. And that is what made the, the scene tense. Yep. That are ready to check you into the province. They bow respectfully as you two approach. I would also bow whatever the appropriate amount would be. And I believe I would present my chop. Is that what I would do here? Every uh, L5R yeah, game point, has so much talk about papers, bowing. And that's what they're looking to okay. receive from you. See the traveling papers? Yes. Haruma? I, I would assume uh, that Haruma would not bow quite low enough. So I'd probably nudge him a little bit. <laughs> uh, bow appropriately, pull out my travel papers. And I like and doing these little things of, of, of just it sort of establishes the formality of, of, of the world. And with that, the guards kind of look you up and down a little bit and go, we're not that quite proper back here. My southern crab. Kind of look, looks over over the paperwork, um, rolls it back up, hands it to you. So you two are coming out to uh, settle the dispute that's arisen. Is that right? We are not authorized to settle. We are here to aid in the negotiations. Is that so? Because I was told you all were coming to settle it for us. He gives you a wink, wink. We are here to be the keen eye of the empress. And however her will is best executed, we shall advise. And, and you see him sort of thinking over the big words that you say, because <laughs> so, so, some of the crab aren't quite as educated as other samurai. And he, he, he looks over his compatriot, and you see him talk back and forth a couple times, and, and he confirms, oh, oh, yeah, settle it. I got you. <laughs> and, and, and with that, they allow you two to pass. On the opposite side of the camp, we have Murimoto, who has come down a different path from the north and is being greeted with not one, not two, but seven crab samurai that are dressed in full battle armor and very interested in you. Yeah, so I come down the road. Again, I know that the crabs are there. I don't consider them threatening at all. Uh, so I'm sort of enjoying the scenery. This is my first time out of the mountains. I'm very much taking time to stop and smell the roses. They came out, I took note of it, and I took my time coming up the street, still being respectful, but also taking in uh, beautiful plains that I had never seen before in my life. And and as you were walking through, one of the other things that, that you do notice as you're taking in the scenery is you see a good number of buildings that are currently underwater, where clearly there was not water at some point in the recent past, uh, but now are flooded almost to the tops of the buildings. 
So you, you, you have that on your one side and you have seven crab samurai standing, uh, very aggressively mm-hmm. with one that is clearly more polite and not in armor standing in front of them, giving you a very deep, gracious bow. I, with calculated mathematical precision, turn to him and bow ever so slightly higher to denote the fact that I am on business from the Empress herself. And with that, he introduces himself as Yasuki Kanzen. Okay, gotta stop here for the famous, and with that... And I've played several games with you now. That is like a key Jim McClure. <laughs> I, I want, we're going to take no. That's one. Oh, I have how, so many. I have how so many, many times do you say, and with, with that? that. Yep. <laughs> Which is a great way to be like, uh, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We, we've got what we need out of this. This is a funny thing. I only do that on podcasts, too, because I'm like, okay, we've established our concept, move forward. At home games, we're a little bit slower because we can be. It's Yeah. Sure, yeah. We were on a time. Time. Yes. time uh, constraint there but yeah i just i've actually noticed it in a lot of games that you play I do it all the time yeah it's a very common jim mcclorism <laughs> and with that and as the case may be i yeah. say that all the time too miramoto kumo and what business do you have here in the kanzi province i am e- i'm here at the behest of our empress i am here to settle the dispute that nature has seemed to bless this area with you were sent okay i'm gonna jump in again here because uh, there was some conversation about the way we talked mm-hmm. in this game, and it's very passive, and there's a lot of almost like talking about ourselves in third person. I think a lot of that is, is James mentioned in his intro that that's how his character would be, mm-hmm. but I think Caleb and I started to mimic him, and we all started talking in that same sort of calm demeanor, passive voice, which isn't really how we should have been talking as Crab. But I think we just sort of like followed along, whether that's nervousness as, you know, people being in, and on the podcast, you know, and I'm, I was never going to try an Asian accent. You know, it's not a Jamaican, but <laughs> uh, but I wanted to do some a little something with my voice to try to intone. And I think that when I heard Jane, what James was doing, I thought, OK, that's what I'll do. Uh, so it's clearly different than my normal speaking voice. But that's one thing I would probably like to do over I, I think I think the passive voice was a little too much, particularly for the way my character was described. And and I mean, uh, as we kind of talked about, there's some differences that that come up with that. I mean, I took the past, obviously the tone. I mean, if you attribute it to you know to James's lead on that, um, you know that that's certainly fine. One of the things that I noticed, which was an intentional thing, is I'm a pretty big, intimidating dude, um, just in real life, and I come in come into this game with going, we are going to play L5R, and it's going to be serious, and this is the greatest game of all time, and we're going to do this. It's a very intimidating, essentially, presence that I'm giving you in, in my entire delivery of what we're about to do. And all three of you had the, we're going to step on eggshells a little bit because we don't want to know where we overstep and where we don't overstep. That was intentional, and I loved it um, because it makes you approach situations different. We, um, we'll we get this in, into one of the later episodes where, where you actually say, if this was D&D, I would have ridden the body down the lake swinging a sword, you know, yeah. and that's an entirely different game. Still a fun game, but yeah, an entirely yeah. different game. So I, I, to a degree, reveled in the let us, let me, I'm like, oh, these are intimidated players. I'm not going to do anything to ease that intimidation at this point. I want them to revel in it, and I really enjoyed it. I think it actually came out very well because okay, we did. good. Yes, I have the paperwork right here. He, he unfolds it, c- c- kind of looks at you with an odd glance. Rolls it back up. 
while we all directly serve the Empress, I'm sure even the dragon understand that they are sent by their daimyos. And he hands it back to you. Like, me being uh, me. And he's like, yeah. That's true. While you are most certainly welcome here within the province and are certainly here on official business, I would like to inform you that agents have already arrived to settle the matter and that the dragon's interference perhaps is unneeded. We would be happy to accommodate you before your return trip. Okay, um, I was going to see how far I let it go because I wanted a little recap the, these introductions, and and with that harsh, harsh language, I feel like we have to do it. Of, uh, I'm I'm a real big proponent. You're going to see it in these stories of of no wasted motion. In that we are here to tell a very dense story in a very small period of time. So in character introductions, which is what we're having here can't just be in-character introductions. What we want to do is we want to establish the settings, themes, and tones that we're going to have. And it is better, I feel, to let the players discover these things on their own. I, I didn't tell you all beforehand that the dragon were going to be treated unkind. What we've got from these introductions, aside from what I said earlier about having a little difference between players, is I went right from the get-go, we're getting a clear... The crabs show up, and they're welcomed with open arms, and given the wink-wink, you're going to take care of us, right? The dragon shows up and the crab greet them with a a sensual war party and goes, yeah, you're not welcome here. We'll be happy to help you back on your way home. And this gives us right from the get go, the uh, the crab clan is being antagonizing to one half of our party, uh, but not the other half. And again, it's to establish that right from the beginning, because these are the tones that we're going to work with going forward. I certainly appreciate your dedication to getting this issue resolved. I believe the experience of many eyes is more valuable than that of few. He sort of rests back a little bit and thinks a little harder. The crab's reputation for hospitality has been well served on this day. (laughs) When the players have a good line, let them win every time. That I was received with the hospitality... I am expecting. And I would hope that you would accept that responsibility and understand that the hospitality that we provide you should be seen with a keen eye, and that not all others involved in this would offer you the same hospitality. With that, Miramoto, let me show you to your quarters. Indeed. And with that. And, and as um, Hidan are walking past the guards... I will look over and say, I'm sure that you are familiar with the seven virtues of Bushido. Are you familiar with the eighth? It is silence. (laughs) (laughs) And we already have a little player antagonism to each other. (laughs) Your your experienced, (laughs) very advanced stage, very advanced stage. The um, with that, you all are taken. uh, Hida and Hiroma are taken to their uh, their quarters, which you see are very nice, very lavish. Perhaps one of the nicest buildings that you have ever been allowed to reside in, uh, which stands out as very uncommon compared to the rest of this encampment. Right. On the contrast, Haruma is taken down by a house where the, uh, the the last two posts on either corner actually have water lapping up on them, and you can see where stuff has been hastily drug out of this with incoming water, and they're ushering you in as this is the place that you will stay. 
with that, after a few moments of you all getting your, your supplies together, getting your bedrolls together, um, setting everything up, you all have had, uh, Haruma and Hida have had, uh, assistance peasants that have been assisting you in it. You have been relatively unattended to, mm-hmm. uh, Mirimoto. Uh, you do are come and gotten by an assistant, an actual, a, a Kram clan samurai that says the local lord and daimyo Yasuki Fujito is welcoming the new guests at the Saki house uh, to introduce you all to the new area. And he would appreciate your attendance there. Just a little thing on that, too. Um, I And this isn't even just podcasting. Uh, I do this uh, at, at home tables as well, and that is... Um, you know, I, I, two points on that. One, of course, we, we set up the locations that you all were, were housed at. Um, you know, this is another little thing that a lot of times people go, okay, what's your, what's your establishment? Or, you know, what, what's your, what's your house look like? What's your, you know, et cetera. Part of the reason why I like my, my, uh, linear narrative and to be able to control these things is I want the themes that I'm trying to come across with applied at every step of the way. I want it to feel real. The the dragon at this point feels very much an outcast. It was, I was met with a war party, they don't like me, they want to send me home, they put a house that's on the newly formed river that might flood at any moment, while my other companions were set up in, in the, you know, the quote-unquote penthouse of the place. Uh, that really establishes those things. You know, so just another little little flavor thing. And then the other side is, oh my goodness, skip over the boring parts. Um, you know, it was, okay, you all are set up. There's nothing that's going to happen. The next thing that happens is in the Saki house. So you all set up your bedrolls, you do this, assistance got you, boom, and you go to dinner. In in a home game, I maybe would let out a little bit more role play than that. But if we, if we want to tell a tight narrative, let's keep it focused on what matters. And if it doesn't matter, just hit the fast forward button and get to something that does. And I completely agree with that. That's how I run, try to run my games as well. But but one thing I would think here, I would say here is I feel like this is probably an L five R thing, and I may be stepping over. Mm-hmm. But like in a traditional D and D game or other role playing game. You probably could use like some servants as like information gathering, but I feel that like an L5R peasants really aren't part of the story, and it would be I, I kind of feel like it would be difficult for us to get valuable information from peasants because you want us dealing with people that could have an influence on us, and just the way that L5R is designed, peasants don't do that. Right. So like you know, in a again, I hate to use D and D every time, but in a fantasy game where maybe the person who takes me to my room, like the porter. I give him an extra tip. He might tell me who's interesting in town or, you know, something about the, the, the game or the, the place that we're at, something that could be useful. And in the L5R, I don't think that's ever really going to happen. Yeah, and it's uh, sort of intentionally kept away from happening. Um, you know, w- within the fiction, the, the peasants have the, the, the sort of the – they kind of live in constant fear of they are considered property and they can be just killed at right. any point. So if they were to find out that, oh, this peasant gave you information about who else was there – even though there's perhaps nothing at all wrong with that, his daimyo might go, I don't want my peasants giving information. Oh, you're a squeaky chair. Let's go throw it out in the burn pile. Exactly. And that, that was kind of my, my my views that that's – Right. In that particular type of game, it absolutely makes sense to skip over that. Yep. In a different type of game, there might be some – interesting things that could be mined from that, which since this was a different game, we get to the interesting stuff. And that's actually an interesting point, too, um, just to touch on that as well. Where people get information from is also very important in the story. As, as we talked from the, the beginning, what I'm trying to cultivate here is an emotional engagement and emotional tension with the other players, the NPCs in the story. 
if it's not one of those things that's important, I don't want it occurring. I, I don't. It's not interesting. It, it, it's going to cloud what I want. I want you getting the information from the NPCs that I want you to have important attachment. And this is the linear plot side of things. Of that's what I want to occur because that's going. I can apply it in certain contexts to make you all as players feel certain way. And we're certainly going to see that as we go along. So that's a really interesting point. Well, it's also there's a conservation of energy. Yep. Where if you introduce an NPC who does give me information, that's another NPC that I might want to go back to, talk to, have to have a name for. Where if you, you know, think of like an action TV show, someone who gives you information is probably important to the story later on as Bingo. well. Bingo. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure no one listening to this has ever had a story where they made an NPC who was supposed to be nothing, nothing. turn into a main character. <laughs> yes. And that's how it starts. Yes. Just don't introduce them. <laughs> yeah. And with that, they usher you and up. with that. They usher Hida and Haruma as well. I do say that a lot. Into a lot. the Saki house. And when you enter, uh, you can clearly see this is a hastily constructed building. This has only been put up very recently. The ground is still disturbed where all of the pillars went in. Uh, we have tables set up. There's very nice sake set up in the back. Uh, there are a couple of geisha that are attending to the patrons. And while they are mostly crab clan, uh, mostly honorable samurai, although they are wearing all armor, which does strike you odd, there are a couple tables that are filled with different samurai. Samurai in dark armor. You clearly see Mons that uh, Hida and Haruma you all recognize as Spider-Clan Mons. Uh, Morimoto, you would recognize it from your training, but it is certainly the first time you have ever seen these. And they issue the three, usher the three of you all to sit down at a table together. Um, just as a small note in there, another little thing that I do to help people get in character is once a play session start, and you'll see this a lot from me, I slip up every now and then, but I only refer to you all by your character names. I, I, I never say I never say James. I never say Caleb. I never say Michael. It, it's almost even if I'm giving you player information because I want you to be thinking as a character. So that's something that I do. You know, as you get more and more friends with people, it can get a little harder to keep into that. But uh, I think this game it, it's pretty prevalent throughout. I pretty much just call you all uh, Hiroma, Hida, and um, Miramoto throughout. Again, in my regular games, I try to do the same as yeah. well. I'm sure I, I slip up, but that's my goal is to always refer to yep. you as the character name. Yep, it's, it's an important little thing to help help get people in character and into the world. Looking at these samurai, do they all look battle-hardened? I know that everybody here is definitely in armor, and they seem like they would be ready to fight. Have they been fighting? Aha, so you would need to make your investigation roll to see how come the rules and mechanics. mechanics. To your, your untrained eyes, they all look battle-hardened compared to what you're used to of your, your monks meditating in the mountains. Uh, <laughs> but to determine a little more than, uh, th- than on your eyes. All right. So that comes to a 15. 15. Um, yes. Uh, you, you can tell that the spider, uh, samurai more than the crab. Um, not only are, are they battle hardened, but it is clear they have recently been fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that they are, uh, they're small. Nick- Question. Mm-hmm. That seems to me to feels like the type of information that you would have wanted us to have no matter what. Mm-hmm. So why did we roll if there was a chance we would have failed and not been told that? Oh, that's a super great question. Um, because I, as the GM, if this is information that I want, I, as the GM, am going to provide you that information. You're going to get it. Right. So if what just happened in this situation is we allowed uh, James's character, we allowed Miramoto to have a win, okay, because we're in the act one of our story, and, and he needs to be winning. He needs to be reinforced that, oh, the mechanics are a fair arbitration of what's going on, 
fun, and my character's good at investigating things. So I rolled, and I won, and I got information, and it's wonderful. If they would not have ever made that role, if he would not have looked at one of his future interactions with the Spider-Clan, what he would have noticed is recent cuts and scars. He would have noticed damages on the armor, and he would have gotten that information organically. Either way, me as the GM in this scene, I want to provide that information, and I want to provide it in the most natural way as possible. And that is is one of the big tools is, is if this is a vital piece of information, they have to get it. If they can get it through using their mechanics, awesome. It makes them feel important and powerful and like the numbers that they wrote on their character sheet matter. Uh, that's Oh, that's a pessimistic statement, right? <laughs> well, well the, to clarify, though, so he rolled, he got a 15. Yes. What if he got a 2? What if he had failed that role? If he had failed that role, I would have given him no information. But... I still would have, in the later interaction, given it to him through the organically okay. coming up. Yes. So the next time, it just would have been, you noticed the cuts and scrapes and recent signs of battle, that you just would have said that rather than roll again. It would have been in the character description when, later on in the scene, he has an interaction with the Spider-Clan samurai, and it would have been in that uh, samurai's description when he walked up to him. Gotcha and cuts on them there is you know dirt and mud on their uniforms their katanas have not been cleaned off uh, <sighs> for shame right them, uh, that's evil and to, to you a purist you would note of the the damage of course that will do to the blades over time um and and certainly turn up your nose to it but i'm glad when old me makes the same comments new me does activity <laughs> the crab on the other hand just seems sort of general crabbish Mm, of course, yes. <laughs> a little crabby. A little crabby. So crabby. There's the Michael. Was, uh, <laughs> was, were we expecting someone from the Dragon Clan? Or you were this, not. So this is a surprise to us as well. It is. You were not told anyone else was attending to... We want that tension between the two. Okay, so it's players. Obviously, we knew James was going to be there. Right. But we just now established, you know, we're 23 minutes into this game. Oh, wait. There's another character that we didn't know about? Exactly. Who we quickly learn is actually superior to us in the decision-making process. Like, doesn't he actually have the more of the authority? Um, I think maybe you'll end up leaning towards him. Technically, no. Um, okay. the, the the onus was that the three of you all were to come to a decision as an investigative group, uh, sort of as a multi-clan coalition uh, to decide the, this sort of outcome on it. The way, I guess, the story ended made it feel like he had a more of a, a decision as the case may be. Well, I, I uh, think, there's that saying, as the case may be. Well, I also think from memory and, and listening, I, I feel like we thought that that was the case. Hmm, now, whether, whether we just, the way the story developed, we, again, we thought that from the fiction or from other things, other cases, but I think we we defer to him very quickly. Yeah. And again, whether that's just Michael and Caleb deferring to James on his own show or Miramoto, you know, the kind of situation, but I think, my my feelings looking back on it is I'm pretty sure my character and myself felt that that character had a little bit more mm. responsibility or rights than we did. But, again, that's just the way the That's an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah, interesting point. Would I be able to know our station to one another when I bow what I know to bow lower or not as low as uh, you, you only know what you walk up and can discern. Okay. Uh, you, you do walk up to someone who is certainly cleaner than the other folks in this area, and his armor is very fine. As I sort of err on the side of caution, I will bow what I think is the correct amount, maybe a slight bit lower since I don't know for sure. Let me just hit on a little point here, too, real quick. Sure. I know we're hitting on a bunch of little points. Um, that, that's that's what this is. We're going we're gonna to do this one time. <laughs> we're not going to go look right. back on it and go, you know, I really wish we would have added 30 more minutes to that show. As, as, a, as a note for, for GMs that are running in setting and lore-heavy stuff, 
Go ahead and excuse the small stuff. Like, you don't have to keep hitting people over the head with it. James just said that he showed up in armor and his armor is nice. Technically, he would not do that. Everyone else being in armor was the odd thing that happened there because typically you would be in your normal, regular clothes. Did I need to stop that story and go, no, no, James, you wouldn't have been in armor? No, it doesn't matter. Um, so one of the, just as a little point, if, if you're running sort of setting, setting heavy stuff, it can get very frustrating for the players if they're constantly being told, no, no, you've got that wrong. No, no, you've got that wrong. If it doesn't matter, just go with it. Uh, so just as a little point. Well, and that's that's kind of what, what retconning is for. Yeah. That, like, you know, if this was a long campaign and, like, you know, three sessions later, James is like, I never should have worn my armor. That's crazy. Right. And if it didn't matter then, then it didn't happen. Exactly. In, in the fiction, we've now changed it because it didn't matter. Right. Now, if he gets into a fight and he wears armor, then it's a little bit different. Exactly. And introduce myself. Is, uh, Recognizing uh, the cal- like, I watch you coming over, and I see you looking at me and thinking about it. I'm going to match you on your bow and bow exactly the level that you had. Conversations about bows. A lot of bowing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think Hita would probably maybe internally roll his eyes a little bit about at this, but outwardly maintain a sense of decorum. Uh, he would certainly, when Miramoto came out of his bow, give him a very harsh once-over. Respectfully, but still very clearly indicating. Miramoto sort of uh, takes in the room a little dreamily. His eyes come across your face, and he makes direct eye contact for a second, and then continues looking about the room in a dreamy serenity. He, he would grump at that a little bit. He w- He should. <laughs> With, with, with that, you all hear and, and actually can see some commotion outdoors because the, the rice paper walls to the outside have not been put up yet. So it is actually all still very, very open to the outside. Um, and you see a great, I mean, a giant war horse from what you've seen. Because within Rokugan, there are only really small ponies and only one clan has full-size war horses. And that is the unicorn clan on the far other side of the empire. Um, but this is clearly a much larger horse than you have ever seen before. And sitting on top of it... Uh, so there's a just small point that had we been very educated on L5R, you wouldn't have needed to explain that sure. Unicorn Clan are the ones that have horses. We all have been like, why the F is there a giant horse here? Right. But we didn't know that. The audience didn't know that. So that's a little bit of tidbit. That's, again, building the world as you go. Exactly. Exactly. Because if I were to explain that to you all beforehand, we're like, none of you are playing a unicorn. Who cares? You know, what's important is, oh, this whoever's walking up has something that the rest of the world doesn't have. It must be important, unique, different, what have you. And it became relevant in that moment. So, yeah, it's, it's a very good illustration of sort of describing the lore of the world as it becomes relevant from our little foothold. And the other key thing, which is something I try to do as well, is you didn't have us roll for that. There was no, like, roll history or right. roll knowledge. Because our characters grew up in this world, we would know that. Same thing applies to a Red Girl Fantasy game. If, you know, if there's a, a Mark of Heraldry, Heraldry, there's a good chance our characters already know that. Yep. You know, unless it's, like, ancient or arcane, you don't need us to roll to know if we can, oh, yeah, the third you know, thy count was so-and-so. It's just, yeah, you know that you grew up this world. Exactly. Riding forward to you uh, is definitely a Crab Clan samurai, uh, but he is very small, uh, small to the point of Haruma might actually be able to take him in a judo match. Um, He is a, a tiny, tiny person. And, and you see him ride up and the horse stops and you see him, turn his his mouth into this crook of his elbow um, for a moment. And then he slowly dismounts the horse. And you see him trip and fall off the side and fall 
where his back hits the ground and his foot's caught up in one of the stirrups. And a couple samurai run over and rush him, <laughs> pull his foot out and stand him back up and dust him off. And he, he sort of shakes him off and starts walking into the room. All right, let's talk about that. An ignominious entrance, yes. to say the least. Uh, so, all right, so we, we're we starting to build our tools here. So clearly this person who's coming up, and in the next 20 seconds of audio, he's going to get introduced as um, Yasuki. He's the, the, the head of the club head of the crab clan in this area. He's the local daimyo. Um, and he is one half of our dual stacking plot, okay? Is it him or is it Daigotsu Jin, who we're going to find later, which almost sounds like a curse word these days, but, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to get to that. So we're introducing our character and in our dual snacking plot, what we want is we want to have clear distinction between our different sides here. You know, you all are going to make the decision. You don't know this yet, but ultimately what we're building is a story of you're going to make a decision between Yusuke, who you're just about to meet right now, and Daigotsu Jim, and who you think is right and who you think is wrong. And your decision is going to directly affect these two people. So we're introducing our, our first one. And this introduction is an interesting one because I know what Daigotsu Jin, we're going to meet him later. Uh, but what we have is we have essentially building an abject failure of a leader. Yes. And the reason we're doing that is because what I'm actually building too is someone, you have to make the decision between someone who is right but is a failure in what he's doing and someone who is wrong but is actually fairly honorable in what he's doing. And competent. And competent. So what is the decision? That's actually a hard decision to make. But to get to that decision, which is where the story is going, we have to build all of these pieces in your mind. So we introduce him like, okay, he's on a giant horse. He's clearly important. And we we saw him, and we'll hear him later coughing, uh, you know, go into the crook of his elbow and cough. The universal sign for I am I'm sick, sick and I'm going to die. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Which is what we're both doing right now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because there's black mold in our basement, apparently. Yes. Um the uh th- that's what we're we're establishing and then what we give him is the least graceful entrance possibly it's okay here's this big it's, i mean it's three stooges level comedy yeah, yeah and it's so out of place yes absolutely and I, I remember in the moment being like He's clearly trying to tell me something with this introduction. Exactly. It's everything has been formal, and we have had four minutes of conversation about bowing. This guy just three stooges fell off of a horse, has his foot caught in the stirrup. His assistants are having to help him. He's shaking them off. It's like, what in the world is this person that just showed up? And that's the question that we want to be asking at this point. And it's also that's a point about making NPCs memorable. Yes. Even though like, I I think I screw his name up twenty two times, but I will always remember he's the short guy who fell off the horse. Right. Exactly. Immediately when he walks in, you see all the other crab samurai stand up and give a great bow to him. I follow suit. Yeah. As would I. He did as well. Um, you do notice that the spiders on the far side of the room do not move and do not take their attention from their sake. What mm. assholes. He can you play the three of you and walks kind of a joke. over and you can tell he's again small even for uh uh your, your standards Haruma he he's only about 48 um a, a tiny man very uh he, he has almost no muscle it seems on his body especially compared to what what you're used to with the crab and as he walks up to you before he says anything he leans in the crook of his shoulder again <coughs> coughs a few times gives you all a slight bow greetings i am Yasaki Fujito. Miyamoto Kumo. 
Hida Kagura. Haruma Shimabuka. <laughs> Haruma, you you have an interesting personal name. And with that, he just sits down. <laughs> I commented on it. With you. Our table. Your table with the three of you. I want to check. Does he look like he's fatigued, maybe ill, and that's what's causing the cough, or is he like mm. drunk off his ass? Do you have the investigation skill? I do not. Then you may make an unskilled roll to determine. Okay, how would I do that? What you will do is you will roll a number of dice equal to your perception, because that's the key trait. Okay. So you'll roll and keep that number of die, but because you're unskilled, even if you roll a 10, they will not. And this is interesting, because you already know the answer. Yeah. You're very yeah. Un- I've learned that about myself, listening back. I am very keen on trying to inject in the narrative what I know at the table. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm editing the Fantasy Age game right now, and there's a part where the GM says, basically he says a line like, you're pretty sure that this is three days old because of blah, blah, blah. And then in character, I say, guys, I'm pretty sure this is about three days old because yep. of, and he even, like, he called me, I was like, okay, Captain Exposition. <laughs> you know? But I was like, but I wanted the, the, that in the narrative. I wanted in the story. So yeah, so it's the same thing. Like, I wanted it to be in the story, mm-hmm. even though I knew it. Or to know that I don't know that because I, you know, I don't want to role play like, well, I clearly know he's the bad guy, whatever. If my character doesn't, and I think that's a good player point because I, I play with you, of course, off mics many times too, and in games, and you know that that's something that I see you do, and I see a lot of people do. I do it some too. Of it's reinforcing, you know, I'm in character. You know, it, it's not this meta conversation that we had. I'm I'm back in character. Uh, you know, I'm establishing this thing within the rules and parameters set up in in the game and the character that we're playing, which is fantastic. It really helps keep people in that sort of a mind space. I think. That's honestly, I think that's why I do it. I found yeah. it just, it, I like it to be in the narrative so that it makes sense that we're all engaged. Because there's so many times where one character learns something, other characters aren't present, but we all act on it. And it's assumed that I told them. Right. But I like it to be present. I don't want it to be assumed. It's, 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 was it, it's red, not subtext. Yes. It could just be a cold. It could be a, a deeper illness. It could just be some dust from hitting the ground. You're not sure. Okay. Uh, can Hida be a little bit leery of him for any ill humors or supernatural influence that might be mm. causing this activity. It, it, it's a, a very common crab issue um, and something that very leery of. So are, are, are you intentionally staying away? I would certainly not want to approach more than necessary, but I would want to remain polite, but I would not sit next to him. <laughs> yeah. I will politely shun him. Right. Um, maybe use some of my spell knowledge or lore knowledge to get what, a sense. What lore do you have? Uh, I have Shadowlands and Theology. Absolutely, you may make it. Lore Shadowlands to see if he has any sort of presence of corruption. And just as a note while he's making that roll, the it, it's something I do as a, as a GM real quick of... When I asked him what lore he had, I'm actually looking for something to give him. Uh, I'm not looking ever to like go, no, you don't have it, or I want a specific thing. I go, what do you have? Because I want to justify it happening. Always let the players, you know, do their thing. Seventeen. Seventeen. Um, as far as you can tell from the outward signs, you can't tell any presence of Shadowlands corruption. I think I would have a slight sense of ease, but not calm and relaxation. I would be on my guard, especially with so many spider around here. And Morimoto, how are you treating the samurai who just sat at the table with um, you? I, I, I smile when, you know, he, he sits down next to us. I found my journey to be quite pleasant. You, how was yours? 
I have been here almost since Mike Impuku. And you, you, when you look at him, you can tell his eyes are very saggy. He seems very tired, but he's young. He, he He's mm-hmm. very young as well. I was stationed here, again, almost after Mike Impuku. I did not travel anywhere, most certainly not as far as <sighs> you, Morimoto. Then it is thanks to your efforts that my journey was a safe one. It is to my efforts that you are here, Morimoto. I requested a number of samurai to assist in this matter because it is unfortunately a delicate one i appreciate that and i respect both parties to the utmost well i i'm afraid most of my crab compatriots are not going to respect you morimoto it appears we've had some issues at least as they believe with the dragon not ruling as favorably as they so desire i see which leads me to why we are here, and why you all have been sent here. We have an issue in the Kansan province, my province, the province I was charged to protect, and that it was split between us and the Spider Clan among the Yansen River. And everything was fine until a few weeks ago when the Yansen River suddenly changed course and flooded out about half the village. Now, this change of course has granted the spider extra land that they believe is theirs. And they are citing reasons that are incomparable to me. The fact is that was the land in which the the imperial map makers, I forget that term. um, Cartographers, you idiot. Drew the maps. (laughs) Cartographers. The imperial cartographers. I got you back. Yeah. Drew the maps, and that is where the border lies. Yet they have refused to abide by our edicts to vacate their newly acquired territory, as they call it. The cartographers respected the flow of the recent flow of the river? No, the cartographers were here several years ago drawing the original maps, and those maps are the maps that Empress Awiko, may she be blessed, approved for us to follow. And those are the maps that we hold to to this day. The spider believed that the map was written off the river, and if the river changes, the territory changes. I see. So, I have called you all here, hopefully to make sense and to be an outside party to inform the spider that they need to get off of. Again, a question for someone who's more intelligent about L5R. Listening just now, mm-hmm. I get the sense that the fact that he even asked for help is, a, is a, again, a sign of weakness. Oh, yeah. He, he should not have asked for help. He should have just made it happen and he can't because he's a terrible leader exactly and it, it, it it's a hundred percent that and and we start sowing the seeds of, of we you know that he doesn't quite have control over the region it, it's sort of subtle this he kind of mentioned stuff about the the troops you know that uh it may not be as respectful and all of that and uh again it, it's not something that we need to be over the hand you know have very heavy handed with but uh it is something that is again I, I've said it, and I'll say it a bunch of times. No wasted motion. We're in a scene. What are we trying to establish with this scene? I'm trying to give you two things at this point. I'm trying to give you what the the core of your mission is, what you've been charged with to do, and we're trying to establish our personal connections with who this who this Yasuki character is. And and those are the the concepts that as a GM when I'm playing this character, um, you know, a lot of people think about you know like okay, what's this character's backstory? What do they have going on and all that? And that's really really good information to know. I take that and use it. I go, what do I want my players to be feeling about this person at this point? And that is, he's a bit of a klutz, he's a bit of an idiot, but he's got a bit of a sympathetic position. 
So I have one piece of information on both sides of whether I like or dislike this guy. And that's exactly what I wanted you all to come out of this with. The other note, just from a fun uh, GM standpoint, is uh, whenever you're making this sort of a choice-type story, you need to have equal weight or equal merit behind the choices. So what what our story is is just uh, – uh, I actually was re- re- really happy with coming up with this. So I'll, I'll, I'll pat my own back just a little bit <laughs> for a second. You're over there. Yes. Um, but the, the concept that we're dealing with is essentially the Imperial cartographers and uh, – <laughs> Yeah, ambiguity. Yeah. That sounds like a word. Yeah. Uh, I've made up more than one word on your show before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dismarried. <laughs> but um, the uh, the ambiguity is is a GM's best friend, in my opinion, because what we have is how Rokugan works, which is what was just established, is map makers come by and they draw, here's what the maps of the territory are. They hand the scrolls to the daimyos and go, here's your territories. And what the map that they drew was they go, the river, divide your territory. Okay. Seems pretty simple and straightforward. Now the river moves. Okay, so is the border where the river was or where the river is now? You can pretty logically see both sides of that argument. Right. Um, and it makes it so that there can't be like a, well, no, you idiots. There was the GPS coordinates and the GPS coordinates that said the, the border started at this territory, you know. Right. With this, it gives you that, okay, there's two sides to an argument here. We need to figure out what they are. So I, I really like the setup for that. The other thing that I would call out there is it's very often, and I'm certainly guilty of it myself, that a lot of times the characters are put in the situation because they have to, because it's the story and I need them to be there. And in this case, the reason that we're there is actually tied into the story itself. I missed it the whole time. I I literally just now caught that. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just arbitrary, well, I want you to be in the story, but the fact that our characters even present are part of the story. I I was going to save this for the next little bit of audio, but we might as well hit it now. Um, And that is, I have a very strong belief that the, the players and their characters are the story. I run games, and you'll see it very clearly in this, where the games and the stories would not even occur and transpire if it would not be for the player characters. Uh, if they are showing up by happenstance and resolving things through happenstance, to me, that's not nearly as interesting of a story. With this one, we have a very interesting dynamic, and it's something that I like to run, in that the three of you are the most powerful people in this story. And I love that component. You all at any point can make the choice. It's about to be explained to you uh, to make the decision of, yes, it's this or yes, it's that. You could make it right now at this table, you know, in the sake house where you all are talking. At any point, as far as resolving the narrative, you three are more powerful than the local daimyos. You're more powerful than anyone. You have all of the power in the world. Why wouldn't you just immediately resolve it? Because you as the players, which I'm playing against, want to be Fair, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You, 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 we you also want. want to, I mean, just we know we're on a podcast. We're not playing a game. But <laughs> there's part of it that we, we want to explore, right? You know, and you know, I don't. I don't think any of us would have wanted to be like, all right, game's over. Exactly. Yeah. Well, certainly, but, but I, even not on a podcast. I've, I've done this many, many times. It's it, it's a okay. We want to figure out what's going on, and then we can figure out who's right and who's wrong, and make the decision because that's what we love to do as humans. We love to judge who's right and who's wrong. Um, so giving that knowledge and giving into that and giving you all all the power from the beginning. You're not little little yokels that have to train up powerful enough to slay the king with a, a you know that type thing. It's 
you all have all the power in the world to decide the ultimate end of, of this narrative that we're telling. Um, you don't necessarily realize that 100%, but it's it's there, and that puts you all in a very interesting dynamic of people are going to have to go to you, and you're going to have to go to people, and I, I love the way that plays out. So that's a, a dynamic that Jim loves to do of a lot of times the players are the most powerful in what matters. There's other aspects where they're not the most powerful, but in the core narrative, they're the most powerful people our territory i'm sure you all can understand this is a simple issue that can move back and forth all you have to do is go explain the position of the rest of the empire to the spider remove them from the territory and we will be back to the status quo <laughs> of course this i love is that cough Low coincidental cough. coincidental would be a word for it yes Additionally, I have been trying to keep my samurai at bay to a degree because there has been some recent heated exchange, mostly over the territorial dispute, but there have been claims of strange happenings in these woods. There have been strange happenings in these woods since the first day I was here, but two crab samurai have gone missing, and some of the other samurai under my charge are getting. So hard, now we're getting additional elements yes, outside we the scope of our initial mission. This territorial dispute, I feel some of the other issues will be alleviated as well. I would agree with that assessment. So, with that, I charge you, you need to go speak with Daigotsu Jin, the leader of the Spider Clan. Resolve this issue. Come back and let me know that it was resolved. And we may all move on with our lives. With that, he sort of stands up. He falters a little bit with a step, gives you a bow, and departs. The three of you all are left sitting at the table. Yep. Okay, uh, so what we have done here at this point, this is the first opportunity you all have been given to role-play essentially with each other as a group. Right. Um, and that's a very intentional thing because I have now given you things to role-play with. I don't like sort of the, the classic, okay, you're dropped at a tavern. All right, we've got, I guess, whatever backstories that we brought in, go until the quest giver shows up. I don't care for that. What I've given you is you all have showed up. There is heat between the crab and the dragon already about unfair sort of dealings. Uh, the crab have been welcomed open arms, but they've been given the wink-wink by their brethren of like, hey, you're going to take care of us, right? Uh, we, we've established where, you know, sort of our living spaces are and that you are being tra- taken care of well and James is not. Uh, we've gone to the Saki house. We've met this leader that is sick and falling off horses and yet wants you to, again, resolve it quickly. Uh, we've dropped an information bomb about, oh, wait, there's two dead crab and this is causing tensions. Role play. Now you have ammo to actually go like, oh, we can have meaningful in-character conversation about what is actually occurring here uh, and start talking and formulating a plan. You've also been told to, to go meet Daigotsu Jin. That's the moment when I like to allow role play to happen because it, to me it's all about the role play and all about the interpersonal. But if it honestly happens without any rife material to role play off of, then you're doing the whole like, I guess I just got to be quirky and do something um, because I don't know how else to interact with someone. You all have legitimate stuff to talk about right now, and now we open the door for it to occur. Now, I think that's very, actually a very interesting point. A lot of the way that I run games now is very improv-heavy, so I get the characters interacting very early with the understanding that they're going to be able to make up stuff, and that's okay. This isn't that type of game, right. so you're giving us stuff to work with before we ever get to that point. 
Absolutely. Because, again, we are doing a linear story, and I want us to stay focused on the linear story. So I do things to encourage us that direction. And also, intentionally or not, though I'll give you the, the benefit that it was intentional, There, you know, again, we know we're playing a game. And if you drop the hint that there are missing samurai or samurai that have been dead, we are going to believe that it's related and it needs to be investigated. So that's why we're not going to make a decision right now because we don't have all the information. Exactly. We thought we did, but we don't. Yep. It is an honor to meet you both and work with you. Same to you, friend. As to you, no, I will not. I do not believe this. this is as simple as he may believe. I believe the conclusion <laughs> will be simple, but the way no. it is reached will be very complex. When it comes to these lands, nothing Again, very passive voices. I, I agree. I love it. No, I love it. I think it's great. And I fear that with our friends across the way, nodding across the tent. Mm-hmm. We might have more to deal with than is easily handled as we have been instructed. Your victory against the dark forces was hard fought and somewhat miraculous due to the partnership between you and what became the spiders. If I were a clever enemy, I would break up that partnership at the quickest opportunity. That is a wise tactical assessment. And, and, and with that, you, you, you hear a, a stumbling drunk coming towards your table. And, and you, you sort of draw the attention because a couple chairs go clatter, clatter, clatter. <laughs> you, you look over and there, there is this uh, well giant to some of you, the, the members, Heat and Haruma of the Crab Clan. You've seen many people this size in your clan. Uh, this would be one of the tallest men that uh, Mirimoto has ever seen and clearly intoxicated. And he is stumbling, and he lands with one of his big hands on the table. You are the ones, right? Indeed. Not you. You are the crab warriors who have protected this land. Indeed. Your Mm. word. He just stares, like, longingly into your eyes for a minute. I stare, stare, like, happily back. I'm smiling as as he's staring. We've had you northern men in here before. You you dragon. They sort of... Hits Haruma on the shoulder. You know the dragon. I'll probably fall off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I laugh at myself. Let's talk about that, actually. And this is going to come up several times within the game because I was playing a game with Michael, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I can, of course. Uh, but uh, th- this is a very, very common thing that comes up in any sort of serious game or horror game or something of that nature, and that is the players are always cracking jokes when there's a serious thing going on. That's good. It is the natural human response to try and relieve tension. When we are doing a serious story, when we are doing something like the L5R, if you're doing a horror game, you're trying to build up tension. How you know you're getting tension is when the players start cracking offhanded jokes because the tension is too palpable. In a later section, it comes up great when we end up with a Flash Gordon reference (laughs) because it's just so tense that it has to have it. The important thing is don't fight against that. Allow it to happen, and then you as the GM just guide it right back into what you were doing. Allow that brief tension break, and that means you're doing what you're doing right, and just go right back into it. And you know, I would just uh, add on to that that I try these days to make most of the humor come from the game. It's not a meta thing where I'm as Michael commenting on the game, though I do that Flash later. Gordon. <laughs> yes, but in that case, that was my character probably really would have gotten knocked off. So it wasn't. It was an in character moment, which was humorous, but it wasn't breaking the game. We were still in character the whole time. 
Absolutely. More, more or less. He, he sort of like catches the back <laughs> of your chair and sits you upright, laughing jokingly. We, 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 we've had Dragon in before. They, uh, they award territory to the Scorpion. They award land. They award decisions. I said the wrong name. They award Spider. Spider, decisions. not Scorpion. He, he relays in his mind, decisions is what they award to the Spider. You're not here to do that, are you? I am here to decide this manner in a way that will be acceptable to both parties. You listen to the way this guy talks. You're not even drunk. I have not yet been offered. I love playing drunks. Or high people. Yes, yes. You you, you see him wave and a couple bottles are brought over and he brings and he sits down in a chair with you and he's still very leery of you and is making regular jokes at the expense of the Dragon Clan. A lot of references to your your, your wonderful Mountain Tuna. That you there made up there in the north. And, and when, he, when he brings up Mountain Tuna, I laugh with him. <laughs> and, and, and for those that following on your score sheet at home, Mountain Tuna is a rare delicacy of the Dragon Clan because you are not allowed to eat red meat, yet living in the mountains really cuts down on the amount of fish. So they eat goat or quote-unquote Mountain Tuna to stay within polite society so, perception is reality absolutely from across the bar are, are chanting something in your direction mm-hmm. um and, and you hear him saying sadane 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 all right so michael jumping in here now james is a trained improviser yeah. like he's had actual training at it but you told him before the game this was something you wanted to do you gave him yes. a little heads up that this is a, a an l5r thing it's part of the setting it's a fun tidbit to add and asked if he was okay before you actually went into it in the game yes um i wouldn't i wouldn't typically do that um but this is a specific game with a, a specific little role playing game within l5r uh, that has a fun little subset and i thought it would be good for a podcast it also, we, we still got to illustrate the point of that there's tension between the dragon and the crab. And again, we're building up wins for the players at this point. So we're going to actually go into this game. Spoiler alert, James is going to win. And it is sort of an intentional loss. Uh, I go into this with the thought of, okay, I'm going to push him just far enough and then let him get a good zinger and end this thing. Um, but yeah, I, I asked James beforehand mainly because, uh, I'm going to say partly because this was a podcast. So, and it is a role-playing thing, so some sort of, I guess, behind-the-scenes podcast stuff of, I wouldn't, I didn't know James that well. This is the first time yeah, I ever met we James. All, we yep. were all strangers when we sat at that table. Exactly. Even you and Caleb. Um, <laughs> that probably was the first time we ever met in person, I think. Was it really? I think so. I didn't know that met, part of it. We might have met one time earlier at Origins, but that was like for four hours. Like okay, we, wow. We aren't, we're a long-distance relationship. Wow, okay. I, I did not know that portion of it. But yeah, we, we were all meeting each other, and I would have hated to do this thing that would have been hard to cut out of a podcast, and then like if James flopped, obviously knowing James, he, he wouldn't flop with this type of event, but you know, if it went bad and then I, you know, whatever, humiliated him, you know, know and it didn't go well you know i would have hated to sort of put him on the spot and do that kind of thing for it so i did ask for buy-in from him prior to it Uh, i honestly probably wouldn't have done that if it was a regular game and not a podcast but that is something that i did to make sure that people were were, were okay and bought in and understood sort of what this game was going to be so i would actually kind of counter that that i think it's okay that even in like an established home game, if I'm going to do something that's going to put a character on the spot or put them in a particular or a potentially particular difficult situation, I absolutely am okay with saying, hey, just so you know, there's a good chance at some point tonight you're going to be put into a decision. Are you okay with that? And give them a little bit of time because it's, it's a great moment to shine. And it turns into a great moment. And I think having a little bit of a heads up 
makes it sell better. And obviously, again, we're trying to do an entertainment podcast. But even in a home game, I think it's it's okay to kind of tee up the ball for somebody to just little you know hit it hard and have a great moment. So I'm okay with setting people up outside of podcasts. And you're absolutely right. And if I were to remember that we're doing this for GM advice, I probably would have said that and not just my own <laughs> nonsense talking about L5R. No, I, Mike, you're 100% correct. Um, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with setting up your players to succeed and have good moments. Um, and if that requires doing you know, some prep sort of prior game, you know, letting them know, like, hey, this is the game that we're going to play. Here's how the rules are. Kind of think about this stuff. Um, you know, and setting them up to have sort of a great success to build up their own confidence and their own in-character in, in confidence uh, with the rest of the team is is a wonderful thing to do. And uh, I'm I think I'm saying this correctly, but I'm pretty sure Shane, a friend of the show from the Total Party Thrill podcast, there was a, a moment in one of their games where he knew he was going to have to give like a big inspirational speech. Yeah. So he wrote it out beforehand. So he wasn't trying to improv, you know, the William Wallace Battle of Edinburgh speech. <laughs> you know, he had a time to write it out and, and go over it and redraft it so that in the moment. It was great. Yep, and I'm. I think that's great for the game. Absolutely, absolutely. I, again, we're we're all here to to have fun and to make these kind of moments. Whatever you need to do, that's what we're doing. This series is is, is to give you that are listening to this tools to know how to make these moments. Uh, spontaneous stuff is awesome and it's great, but also planned out stuff can be really awesome and fun too. Absolutely, I like to say even George R. R. Martin has an editor. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> And, and he, he almost looks embarrassed. This crab sitting at the table almost looks embarrassed for a minute. Um, and and he, he's waving his hand and sort of shaking him off. Um, and then, and he, are you are you well versed in the art of Sedane? I am an amateur, sir. We should play a game. I am willing to indulge. Wonderful. And again, for those of you who are following along at home, Sedane is a traditional game that is played where two samurai will stand in front of each other and either an object will be selected or they will use each other and take turns giving polite insults to them. And uh, we're going to try this. So with, with that, you, you see the a lot of attention of the room sort of, sort of draws into what's going on. How would, like... Gambling on this go <laughs> very common. Okay, especially I, among the crab. Okay, I would look at um, he done and sort of subtly with like my hands, like be making wagers, just sort of like how how, how much coke are you wagering? Mm, typical Michael interjecting myself into a scene <laughs> because I am it's a great. No, it's egotistical great. maniac. I love it. I don't know how much I have. We'll, we'll say a little because I've I've not yet got the full measure of Miramoto. So I'm going to start by wagering. On it'll be my... it'll be one game. It'll be done back and forth, and then a, a winner will be chosen when the other cannot okay. think of another insult. Well, I'm thinking sort of like a, almost like in a, a horse race. Like it'll go back and forth. Like fair as, enough. You know, like as they go back and forth, the wagers might change. Fair enough. So this type of gambling is acceptable. Oh, gamble, and expected. Uh, g- gambling is is honestly a good pastime. It's it's an odd tradition within samurai of they enjoy to gamble, but they are forbidden from taking part in commerce. And money holds little value, but and that's why they the enjoy gambling, gambling because money just doesn't mean anything to them. Pastime of theirs. So with that, they they, they clear out a couple tables, um, and, and the giant crab stands on the other side of you. Uh, he stumbles a couple times from side to side as he, he's trying to get get his bearings together, and he he looks down at you, and goes, "It's a a good thing that the." Dragon tend to dye their hair black because it covers so much of your attractive face. He laughs, like he throws his head back in in a, in a laugh uh, about that, and stand and stands up and presents to the room. 
Observe, this man is a paragon of the crab. Such broad shoulders and such tiny feet. I don't even understand that, <laughs> but I like it. Back and, and he looks, I, I suppose that there's a reason that the great wall to the north you built was so much shorter than ours. It must be much easier for the dragon to see over. <laughs> Indeed, and it is so good that you built your wall so high to not offend dark forces with your stink. <laughs> And, and it is it, it is abundantly clear that you must keep your peasants busy, as the clothing that they have dressed you in is a clear labor of their efforts. And it is very clear that very little labor goes into the clothing made around here. And and you see his his face is starting to to, to turn a little bit south, and and the the, the sake's taking over him a little bit, as he he kind of stammers back and forth and thinks about it. Well, if I would have looked as what good as you, I guess they would have promoted me to empress. I believe an empress of your stature would most certainly frighten all clans into behaving. <laughs> and, 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 and That's with a good that, one. He, he, he thinks, he, he spits and stutters a couple words and slams his hand down the table and walks out. As the money starts exchanging and everyone gets a good laugh other than him who's embarrassed at, at, at his lost game. Yeah, so all right, a couple things. All right, I'm 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 gonna tell on James here for a minute. Um, okay. or, or not really tell on James, but I go technically. Uh, again, allow your players, especially when they're right. new with these settings. Some of those were insults, not exactly, insults. exactly. Yes, yeah. the, the stench one was just a direct insult, and the crowd should have sort of booed and hissed him yeah. for like a no. It wasn't a clever like you know where like the crab was like a your peasants must be busy because look how well they dressed you. It's like a compliment to the pez or compliment to the dress but obviously is a yeah. direct insult whereas just calling you smelly is a direct <laughs> insult um you know so there's little things like that but again you you you, you let your, your you know your players uh have fun with it and uh i didn't listen to that scene in a while that was actually a lot of good fun that was a good good back and yeah, forth and, there. and it did it it was you know almost like it was scripted which i can assure you it, it was, was not, not no. uh that the first couple were kind of slow to deliver yep. and there was pauses and then as it went they kept getting faster and faster which again it was improv so there was, that's maybe why it wasn't exactly perfectly to the to the setting but there was a true cadence to that scene that that built to that crescendo and it worked beautifully i think at the table exactly and and then you you end up now with uh miramoto has a now another uh you know we're gonna have, it's a narrative victory um he has did that mean anything to the story not really we, we got to tell a little bit more about sort of the crab and the dragon's interaction but we've given you another narrative win we are putting momentum behind you both as players and as characters of like oh yes we are capable of winning and doing things and besting the obstacles in front of us which is everything we want to be doing in the first act of a story because I want you all to have that for the crushing stop that comes later <laughs> yeah. well and, and again I'll add on here too as well that uh, you've, you've said before about the economy of motion and you know everything should matter that had this been a regular fantasy game, I fully would have expected that person to jump us later right and in in you know vengeance or anger, and that doesn't happen at least not directly because there's right. you know conflict that I don't think we specifically said if he was in or not but and I think it's okay that you play with our our expectations a little bit because the point of that scene was to get the game in yep in a normal again I keep saying normal d and d game if I had had a similar situation. Absolutely, that that guy would have come back later, and there would have been a physical confrontation. In L5R, the social interaction is just as valid yep. and devastating as 
physical would be in a in another game. Exactly. Uh, you know, he he's won some credence back with the crab. You know, we, we we've got sort of our our, our good moment there. Uh, so it, it gives us sort of moving forward from here. At this point, the party is now together. They know what their objective is. They've got questions that need to be answered. They've got a feeling for what's happening in the environment now. Uh, and now they have to to move forward this investigation and figure out whatever they're going to be able to figure out from this. And the last thing I would throw in, and I hate to even use this as an example of a good idea. Fate of the Furious, or whatever, Fast Eight, whatever the okay, one, the, sub, right. the submarine one was. <laughs> There's a moment very early in that in that movie where the Dom Toretto gets into a conflict with another person and wins. And rather than that person then trying to get revenge, there's a mutual respect that is built, and eventually that person becomes an ally. That is a way to play with those expectations, and would be very a very valid way. And again, it doesn't really come out here, but that could have also been a good scene later if that crab actually came to james's side because you fought with honor you bested me you're worthy of my respect absolutely um and and an interesting tidbit sign of kind of going forward is uh within the i'll give you sort of maybe we'll do these at the end of the episodes of, of the gm's mind and where the story okay, is well, going we're kind of this well right. i mean this will be the end of this part right. it'd be part one but i mean do you want to do it now or do you want to do it at the end of well i'm just going to kind of give like an update of it because it, it's going to change throughout uh, okay, which okay. is the interesting thing of, of in my mind i'm building this linear plot and this linear story and at this point in my mind as a gm i go i know what the ending is and here's what the ending is. The ending is a duel between James's character, Morimoto, dueling for Daigotsu Jin against Haruma dueling for the crab. That's where the GM's mind is right now. That is the narrative that we are building towards. And as I say, these are going to change sure. almost every step of the way. But that is where my mind is right now of the dragon's outclass from the crab. He's going to ultimately align with my spider. So we are going to end part one of episode one here. These are going to be lengthy. They're going to be involved. Hopefully you will get entertainment and education from it. I will use the word, this is going to be a GM master class using the L5R games between OneShot as well as RPG Academy. Each one we're going to break down. Each one you're going to be able to hear the director's commentary. And then with our thoughts added in, hopefully for those of you out there who want this type of experience, it could be an elevation of the way that you run and tell stories in your games. So this has been Michael. This has been Jim. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. 
Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>